Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We continue our study of the life of the greatest man that ever walked this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 31 this morning. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. There was a man in the synagogue possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began discussing with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was getting out into every locality in the surrounding district. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they made request of him on her behalf. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately arose and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. And demons also were coming out of many, crying out and saying, You're the Son of God, and rebuking them. He would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day came, he departed and went to a lonely place. And the multitudes were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, if you recall, last Sunday we dealt with Jesus being in his hometown of Nazareth. And when he could tell that they weren't believing in him or the message he was bringing, he kind of compared them to some Gentiles who did put faith in God and became so enraged, the people did, that they let him out to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, intending to cast him off and kill him. But he passed right through their midst and went on his way. So... After leaving that unbelieving murderous mob that was trying to lynch him, he comes down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee. Capernaum was a small town on the upper northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, a prosperous little town, a fishing village mainly. And Jesus here pretty much sets up shop. This kind of becomes his headquarters, his home for quite a bit of time there in Galilee. Um... When we were there in 2010, we got to visit the remains of a 2nd century synagogue that is believed to have been built on the very site of the original synagogue where Jesus would have taught. And there you can see the remains of that synagogue. Well, whatever the case, though, the people, the congregation that gathered in that synagogue in Jesus' day pretty much just made up of humble townsfolk. Fishermen, workers, all right, um, 
merchants, craftsmen, laborers, their wives. And he came to teach them on the Sabbath day. And I would imagine that they too were eager to hear this sermon from this man of, from Nazareth that had been causing such a stir in Galilee. And they weren't disappointed. You saw there in verse 32 that it said they were amazed at his teaching. And that word for amazed is a word that means to strike with panic and amazement or to strike with shock. In other words, they were struck with amazement. They were thunderstruck in their souls because Jesus preaching with authority packed such a powerful punch. And that's the very reason why it did because he preached as one who had authority. Not one who referred to authorities, but as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law in that day. And that was always the way Jesus taught. The teachers of the law, the rabbis of that day, they were pretty much in bondage to quotation marks. All right? They quoted all kinds of other rabbis. They, 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 they loved to quote authorities. They would say, well, Rabbi Shammai says, and Rabbi Hillel says, whereas Rabbi Gamaliel says, and they would just quote authority after authority, rabbi after rabbi, believing that gave credibility to their teaching. Well, their teaching was just a chain of references. It was secondhand theology. It was joyless. It was boring. And it carried no weight to it. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't quote anyone. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? God incarnate. Tell me, who's God going to quote as an authority? Well, yeah. And so that's why Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he taught with authority. And he was the authority. God is the authority. And the truth of his words were their own authority. And these people, they didn't need any professional stamp of approval in order to recognize truth as truth. And when Jesus preached the word, he was clear, painfully direct in his applications. And if we had been there, we would have been thunderstruck in our souls as well. Now, don't miss the point here, because Jesus is prepared to go to war against the forces of evil, and he stakes everything on the authority of the written word. He defeated Satan in the temptations in the wilderness by quoting God's word, and in his ministry at large, the scriptures, the word of God, became his mainstay. And hear me now. If the church is to have any authority today in our world, then we must teach upon the authority of God's Word. Amen? Yeah. In our day, when our culture is not interested in doctrine, not interested in the Scriptures, in fact, they're not even interested in truth, just interested in feelings, the church must stand upon the Word of God. Otherwise, we have no authority. And Jesus, you remember, had all authority. And now we're going to see Him exercise that authority 
as he performs some miracles and signs and wonders and shows that authority in different ways. In verse 33, we have the first of several times that Jesus will confront a demon, or as Luke calls it, a spirit of an unclean demon. The culture of Jesus' day was riddled with superstitions about demons. Some of them were almost humorous. They, uh, many of the Jewish people believed that if you spread ashes at your threshold of your house, that if a demon tried to enter, he would leave tracks like little chicken tracks in the ashes, and so you'd know if a demon was in your house or not. Well, that was some of the superstitions of their day. And uh, they had a large body of literature that dealt with demons. Dealing primarily with two things. One, demons being the disembodied spirits of wicked people. And secondly, how to exercise a demon. Ex or size, not exercise. Okay. How to get rid of them by magical incantations, magical formulas. Now, Jewish superstitions do not mean that demons don't exist, they do exist. Jesus doesn't deal with superstitions. He deals with realities. And he always dealt with demons as a reality and not merely as a superstition. He told his disciples to cast them out. And they did. He uh, thanked God when they were cast out. And on at least one occasion, he kind of chastised his disciples, reproved them when they couldn't cast out a particular demon. So demons were real then, just as they are real today. And we may not see as many manifestations of them today as what Jesus did in his culture, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Satan is wise in the tools that he uses. So don't deny the reality of demonic activity in our world. Demons do exist today. On the other hand... Don't go to the opposite extreme and overemphasize it either. We live in a day in a culture that has a morbid curiosity in the occult. And you need to stay as far away from the occult as you possibly can. How many of you know what a Ouija board is? How many of you ever played with one as a kid? Yeah. And back then we thought it was fun, all right. Who's Susie going to marry? And so they would just, you would put your hands on it and you would spell out a word intentionally, all right. But sometimes, sometimes it would start to move on its own. Ben Alexander, who some of you probably heard speak in his lifetime, who died just a few years ago, uh, the head of Exposing Satan's Power, ESP Ministries, said a Ouija board is the gateway to the occult. And we need to stay away from those kind of things. That's an area that we just do not want to get into. So don't don't deny the existence of demons, but don't overemphasize it either and go to the opposite extreme. So Jesus, he's amazed the people with his authoritative teaching. Their eyes, I would imagine, are fixed on him. 
I would imagine it's very quiet as they're, they're just sitting on every word that he speaks. And all of a sudden, this demon-possessed man shrieks. Ha! What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. <coughs> Got a tickle in my throat. One of the superstitions of that day was that if you knew the name of a demon, you could have power over that demon. And some scholars have speculated that by this demon calling Jesus by name, that he was attempting to overpower Jesus or have mastery over Jesus, which of course was not going to work. And Luke's little added word there, the word, ha ha carries with it some extreme emotion. It can indicate fear and hate and anger all at the same time. Quite a little word. And this demon wants to know why Jesus is interfering. Or what do you want with us? And then the demon asks Jesus if he's going to, do, going to destroy them. Isn't it interesting here? This is Jesus' first confrontation with demons that we know of. And they give up before the fight even starts. Jesus so totally overpowers them that they resign themselves to defeat. And folks, we that are filled with the Spirit of Christ have nothing to fear from demons. And the startling thing is that these demons were more aware of Jesus' true identity than the rest of the people that were there. Even Jesus' own disciples. This demon-possessed man said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, but Jesus forbids them to speak. Now why? Well, first of all, because Jesus hasn't had time yet to teach and instruct the people about the nature of the kingdom and the nature of, of the Messiahship. And a mistaken notion of the Messiah would do more harm than good. The Messiah these people were looking for was a military and political type leader. Jesus wasn't going to be that kind of Messiah. And then secondly, it's pretty bad publicity to have demons praise you. Right? It's bad publicity to have demons praise you. In other words, Jesus doesn't want the people to learn about him through the testimony of a demon. And thirdly, works are louder than words. And Jesus wanted his actions to speak for themselves. And so Jesus muzzled this demon by ordering its silence and cast it out. Well, the demon reluctantly gives up the man. And like a spoiled child that can't get his way, he throws the man down on the ground. This pathetic yellow-bellied demon takes one last pot shot at the man, but it's going to be the last shot that he gets at this man. And Dr. Luke makes a note that the demon did not injure the man, which he dares not when you're in the presence of the Son of God. That, folks, this was not an, an exorcism. All right? I never watched the movie The Exorcist. 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 Thank you. Can't even pronounce it. Never watched it. Probably never will. 
this was not an exorcism. There was no magical incantation. There was no formula spoken as their superstitions would, would lead them to think must take place. Actually, this is more like a healing. Simply on the authority of his word, Jesus commanded this demon to leave. And he did. And the point of this story is not demonology. The point of the story is the authority of Jesus. And he has all authority. <coughs> so let's remove the false superstition about the undue power of demons. They are real, they are active, they're in submission to the word of Christ. And we that are possessed with the Holy Spirit have nothing to fear. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So here's the crowd, and they're witnessing this. They're understandably shocked, not so much by Jesus' deed, but by the power of his words. And the deed serves to validate the word, not the other way around. The powerful word of Jesus is exalted, both his ability to teach and his ability to command demons. And the people are amazed. They are thunderstruck. And hear me now. Today, the victory and the authority of Christ are even more established now than what it was then because Satan was defeated at the cross. Paul writes in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, did you hear that? Jesus has disarmed the enemy. That's what it says. He disarmed the powers and authorities. So the enemy's doom is sealed. Satan was effectively put to open shame, all right? He uh, made a public spectacle of them. Satan was publicly put to shame, exposed publicly at the cross. And in light of all this, there's hope for the worst of us. Someone may seem to have the hardest heart possible. Someone that you might think, well, that person will never turn to Christ. They'll never repent of sin. They'll never, they'll never accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet there's great hope for that person because Christ can free them from whatever sin or evil has them in bondage. If that person will bow to the authority of the Word and the person of Jesus Christ, they can be saved. And the Savior's power will come as a healing to their soul. So Jesus teaches with authority. He shows that authority by casting out a demon. And now he leaves the synagogue and goes immediately to the home of Peter and Andrew. And evidently, Peter's mother-in-law lives with them. She's in bed with a great fever. 
The physicians of that day categorized fevers into two categories, great and small. A small fever was any minor ailment, but the great fever might include something like malaria or some other serious sickness. So she is seriously ill, may have been for some time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this account. Each one offers different details about the healing. Luke here in our text says that he stood over her. Matthew adds that he touched her hand. Mark says he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And at the same time, Jesus rebuked the fever and it left her. And the end result is that Peter's mother-in-law is immediately healed. Immediately. In fact, she is so thoroughly healed, she gets up immediately and began to wait on them. It is an amazing thing that she was able to do this. Because you know as well as I know that when you've had a high fever, there is a loss of energy that goes along with that. And it takes a while to get that energy back, right? And yet this woman suffered none of that. No loss of energy, a complete healing, and she's even released from the aftermath of having any fatigue or loss of energy. And isn't it interesting that after being healed, this woman's first desire was to do what? To serve. Yeah. To serve the Lord. To serve others. Isn't that what Christ wants to do in each of our lives? When he touches us with his love, touches us, heals us, saves us, shouldn't our first desire be to serve and to serve the Lord? Well, as the sun begins to set on the day, the whole city comes out to Jesus at Peter's house. You remember this is a Sabbath day. The Sabbath day begins on Friday at 6 o'clock and ends at Saturday at 6 o'clock. The Jews recognize.